Okay. Great. Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Oh God, for whom there are no barriers, no stones to big to remove, roll away our resistance to you. Let your words fill us with your life and bring us out from the tomb of indifference, alive again in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And our first scripture reading today is Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain, to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of age. And our second reading is taken from Acts chapter 1, verses 6 to 11. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he said, when he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he, was go while he was going and they were gazing up towards heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, man of Galilee, why do you stand looking up towards heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The word of the Lord. Thank you. Uh, just before I begin, uh, friends on Zoom, my apologies. I, uh, Gloria, I just saw your message. Uh, they have not been able to hear Ian's piano playing, um, but I know what it is. So I will fix that. And no, it doesn't help if I mute myself. Um, that should do it. All right. We will test it when he comes back. So friends, here we have, uh, the conclusion of Matthew's gospel. So if you were here Easter Sunday, uh, you heard Matthew's resurrection story, uh, which was, um, to the two Marys, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, doesn't say exactly which other Mary, but we take our best guess, uh, go to the tomb. There are soldiers there. There's an earthquake. Uh, the, an angel rolls away the stone, sits on it. And the angel tells the women, go tell the disciples, Jesus has gone ahead to Galilee. All right. So this more or less picks up where that leaves off. So, like the angel tells the women, Jesus has gone ahead to Galilee and he will meet his friends there. 
And it is not random that the disciples go to Galilee um, because uh, the city of Jerusalem, so a little geographic reminder, the city of Jerusalem where Jesus was killed is at this point under Roman rule in the province of Judea. Galilee is north of Judea. And as I said, Easter Sunday, Galilee is also Nowheresville. Uh, it's the sticks. You don't go to Galilee, you go through Galilee. And yet, Galilee is where Jesus shows up. Galilee, Nowheresville, is where God shows up. Places that are far from the seat of power, with no influence, with people who uh, apparently, supposedly don't matter. That's where God shows up. So the disciples have received their instructions from the women. The angel said, go to Galilee. Off they go. And they go to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Well, there's no mention of a mountain in the actual Easter story, right? When the angel says to the two Marys, go tell the disciples to go to Galilee, he does not include any mention of a mountain. Um, when the two Marys then meet the risen Jesus, and he says, tell my brothers, I will meet them in Galilee, no mention of a mountain. So why does this random mountain pop up? Because anytime Matthew mentions mountains, he's not talking about geography. He's talking about theology. Matthew is the gospel writer who keeps continually bashes his reader over the head with the message that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. He's the Jewishest of Jews. Um, so every, you know, every chapter in Matthew, you'll get him saying, and this was to fulfill the scripture. And this was to fulfill the saying by the prophets. This all fulfills Jewish scripture. And in Jewish scripture, the mountain is often where God shows up. It's where you go to meet God. So Moses went up a mountain to meet God, to receive the commandments. He had to go up twice because of course, the first set of commandments he stomped on in a fit of anger because his people were not behaving themselves when he came back. So he has to go back up again. Um, Jesus preaches the Beatitudes in Matthew from a mountain. That's why we call it the Sermon on the Mount. Um, Jesus also throughout the gospels goes up a mountain to pray, uh, the story of the transfiguration when Jesus takes, uh, two of his buddies, three of his buddies, can't remember up the mountain and they meet Elijah and Moses and Peter gets all flustered and says, we should build some houses that happens at the top of a mountain. You want to find God, you go up the mountain, which is bad news for Saskatchewan. I don't know. Maybe hills count too. We can go up. We can, we can go up. We we can go up the big hill that's just north of town. All right. So if uh, if anyone's going up a mountain, this is um, G, uh, this is Matthew reminding you they're going to meet God. So then the disciples see Jesus. They worship him, but they doubted says Matthew. Now, different translations will say they all doubted. Some of them doubted. They had doubts. But it's very clear that one way or another, Matthew is saying these people who are seeing Jesus, I don't know what kind of further proof you can get. This guy who was dead last week is now not dead. 
and he's right here in front of us, wounds and everything, and they doubted. So Matthew, though, is not phased by this. Matthew is not at all thrown off his stride by the doubt that appears in the disciples. He doesn't condemn them. He just mentions it as a passing aside. Doubt exists alongside worship and is part of faith. So let's talk about doubt. When Matthew says doubt, he's not talking necessarily skepticism, right? This isn't the position of the sort of hardened cynic who says, yeah, no, I don't think so. You know, this isn't the disciples saying, mm, I think, I, I think it's, a, it's, a, it's a duplicate, it's a doppelganger, or I think this is some kind of hologram. You know, this is not the disciples coming up with reasons why this isn't the real Jesus. This is the very human fear and trepidation that comes with trust. Trust, no matter what form of trust, right? Whether it's a trust in um, a person, whether it's the trust in an ideal, whether it's the trust in an institution, uh, whether it's the trust in a particular way of life, Trust is vulnerable because trust leaves itself open by its very nature. Trust can be broken. And, and we have all experienced that in one way or another, right? Um, uh, whether it's people we thought were friends, uh, don't live up to our hopes or expectations of them. Um, people in whom we have confided important things might not keep our trust. Um, marital breakdown or, or, I mean, for a lot of people, of course, trust in the institution of the church. You know, certain stories start coming out about uh, our history or the activity of certain ministers. And that is a huge blow. You know, I, I trusted you. I gave you my money and my time and my energy and my good faith. And, and this is what was happening. It's incredibly painful. Um, so there are times when we just don't want to trust. You know, it, it's just too risky. So we'll just, you know, put on the armor of cynicism. Last week we were talking about the armor of God. Well, there's the armor of cynicism, you know, and I'm just, I'm just going to believe everyone's a jerk until proven wrong, you know. Um, fair enough, right? You get hurt enough times, you know, you get, you get punched enough times, you're going to get a bruise and you're kind of not going to give anyone the opportunity to get anywhere near your ribcage. It hurts too much. So when it comes to faith and faith in God, that trust is risky too, because God does not act according to formulas. God doesn't um, act in uh, uh, predictable ways. We have enormous uh, testimony through our scripture about the faithfulness of God, but that does not mean that God is predictable. And sometimes, in our hour of need, we feel that God is far off. Sometimes we feel God immediately close. Sometimes we don't. Who knows why? 
I was listening to, I listened to an interview with the current Archbishop of Canterbury, uh, the, I don't know if he's the right reverend or the very reverend, but some, something reverend, um, Justin Welby. And he talked about how um, at one point uh, at the, uh, in, in, I think it was his, his daughter died and um, they felt uh, enormously enveloped by the love and the presence of God. <clears throat> And then later they had another family crisis. I think someone got ill and they did not feel the same thing, right? They didn't feel God's presence at all. They felt the love and support of their community, but they didn't have that same closeness. Who knows why? So sometimes I think it's actually trusting in not only God, but in the goodness of God that is the most risky. And sometimes I think it's actually the miracles, the ways God does show up that are hardest to trust. So when the cancer is cured inexplicably against all odds, um, when a snowbank appears exactly in the right spot when our car goes into the ditch, when a pacemaker is fixed the day before the wearer has a fall, those moments are almost spooky in how they uh, brush us up against the work and the presence of God in our lives. And while we might find ourselves profoundly and humbly grateful, we almost also might find ourselves discombobulated. Sort of that moment of, wait, what happened? That, that, does it mean that, God, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, was that God? Oh my gosh, was God present and active in my life, my small, ordinary life? Was that God just showing up? It's almost more risky to say, I think it was. It's sort of somehow safer to say, mm, coincidence. Here are the disciples encountering the risen Jesus, moved of their own accord to kneel and worship, right? He doesn't say, bow down before me. They just kind of automatically do it, you know? They're down on their knees and they doubt. He's right there in front of them, living, breathing, speaking, and they doubt. This is who we are, friends. This is what it is to be a disciple. We are the people to whom Jesus entrusts his work. Those who worship and doubt. And then Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. This reason Jesus performs no miracles, no things, no signs. This reason Jesus does not attract crowds of thousands and feed them with a few loaves and a fish. This risen Jesus turns to his friends, his brothers, the ones who worship and doubt, the ones who ran away and denied him. He turns to these imperfect, fallible followers and says, your turn. You've got this. I put my ministry in your hands. He trusts them to go forth and teach. Whatever limited and flawed understanding these men have of his gospel, it's good enough. 
They are sent forth to share the good news and furthermore to share it with all nations. This is not a prescription to go, you know, make the world Christian. This is a, this is a teaching that is to be shared with anyone who wants it. This is not only for Jews, the people of Israel. This is a message for any and all who need the goodness of God. In the same thing in the story of the book of Acts, they are to be his witnesses, not just in Jerusalem, not just in Judea to other Jews, but in Samaria too, which is further north. That's where our good Samaritan comes from. It's where the woman by the well comes from. It's populated by people who the Jews are convinced are utter heretics. They get it all wrong. And yet they're going to go, to go preach to the Samaritans. This is not a message to be hoarded, to be kept secret. This is not a message just trusted to a select elite. This is for everyone, no matter how much or little worthy we think they are. And remember, he says, I am with you always to the end of the age. These are the last words of Matthew's gospel, the last words from Matthew's Jesus. We are never alone. We do not undertake teaching and baptizing and discipling on our own. The risen Christ, the crucified risen Christ who went to the cross for us and rose again in the darkness and the mystery of the tomb, that scarred living Christ is with us still. It is this Christ who invites us to the table. It is this Christ who accompanies us through sorrow and joy. The stories of Jesus are not confined to a far off land 2000 years ago. They inhabit our lives today through the active and living presence of the risen Christ. <laughs>